0: You're listening to the Midwest Marketing Orange Hour Podcast with your host, Brett Matice. Okay, so I know that your expertise is more in the avian area, but I'm going to give you a quick pop quiz that I didn't send you before the podcast to see if I can stump you here. All right. All right. The question is, what U.S. state has no venomous snakes?
1: Ooh, Minnesota sort of barely has them I know that yes
0: being from Minnesota I can tell you there's like a small population of timber rattlers <laughs>
1: there's a really tiny section yep. yeah um
0: it's more obvious than you think it's like oh like when I tell you
1: okay yeah Maine close okay. I mean you're, what is it you're,
0: Alaska is oh the one. yeah well, it's like there you go. yeah you're we're thinking uh, oh
1: Hawaii too though right
0: Hawaii, they say they have one. When I was doing my research, I could be mistaken. They say they have one uh, species of venomous snake. Oh, cool. Anyway. Well, now I I know. Yeah. Today, I'm joined by Julia from Reptile Gardens. If you want to just give like the quick spiel about yourself, what you do at Reptile Gardens and and, uh, how you got there.
1: Sure thing. I am Reptile Gardens Director of Social Media. Um, but For the past 10 years, I have been part of their bird department. So I would help them put on bird shows and uh, things like that. And it's never boring when you're working with animals.
0: Oh, I'm sure not. Yes.
1: Yes. And uh, I was originally born in California and then moved out to Minnesota for a while. Uh, okay. Where were you at in Minnesota? I was in Sandstone. It's where kinda, is Sandstone at? It's about halfway between the Twin Cities and Duluth.
0: Okay. Sounds good. That's a, I mean, a nice area near Cambridge, Isani at all, or, or am I way off?
1: I'm not 100% sure. Not a, okay. Uh, yes. Much better with my biology than my geography. For sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's kind of a beautiful Northwoods area. It's not too far to drive up to the Great Lakes. So, yeah, yeah, totally.
0: Sounds good. For yeah. people that are listening to that, don't know, I'm sure most people will, but what is Reptile Gardens?
1: Sure thing. Reptile Gardens is a zoo and botanical gardens that specializes in reptiles. Um, And we have reptiles that are right here uh, from the Black Hills, things you might see in your backyard. We have a lot of the big iconic species, like, of course, Komodo dragon, king cobra, and the giant Aldabra tortoises, uh, which are really something to see. And then we also have a lot of really rare stuff that you might not see in another zoo, like an inland taipan or the rough-scaled python. Um, It's just not something you see very often. And we've been doing it for a little while. Uh, this is our 82nd year. Yeah,
0: so a little little while. Yeah. Yes. Pretty experienced.
1: And uh, because of the sheer number of species and subspecies of reptiles that we have in our collection, the Guinness Book of World Records declared us the largest reptile zoo in 2014. And they they even came to do a photo shoot. Uh, they brought their photographers and we brought out a bunch of our kind of record-breaking animal species and everyone got to do photos and our director of human resources ended up with a chameleon on her head. Oh. <laughs> uh, so that was a really good time. No,
0: I mean, what a cool record to hold. I mean, any world record is, is awesome. But the fact that, you I mean, the largest reptile zoo, I mean, it's really, really cool. Absolutely. Especially here in the Black Hills of South Dakota. So that leads in my next question mm-hmm. is, who had the idea to start a reptile zoo in a place <laughs> that gets really, really cold like it is right now?
1: Yes, it's winter, eight months out of the year. Uh, yep. Why would you do that? And I wondered that too, uh, driving through as a Californian, I'd see all the billboards for reptile gardens and I'd be like, who's bonkers enough to build a zoo like specifically for cold-blooded creatures in a a place this cold? And then one thing led to another. I ended up working at reptile gardens and in the employee orientation, they told me exactly who's bonkers enough to start (laughs) a reptile zoo here in the Midwest, Any. He wasn't a madman. He was actually a really clever businessman who had this huge passion for reptiles. Uh, So our founder, Earl Brocklesby, was born in 1916 in Kadoka, South Dakota. So that's kind of why we're here in South Dakota, because where he ended up in the world. And he was really fascinated by the local wildlife, uh, particularly reptiles, but really anything. And he would keep snakes that he had found, you know, like in a box under his porch and all the neighbors would come to check it out, you know, just to see the snakes. And, of course, they would be kind of impressed that he was so comfortable with them and kind of draping him around his neck. Uh, so he, he realized people were really fascinated by this. And when he was 19 years old, he was working uh, for a local attraction in Rapid City. His family had moved to Rapid City after a few years. And it was called the Hidden City. And it's, it's been closed for a very long time. It used to be a couple couple miles from where we are now. And he would give tours. And at the end of the tour, you know, reach up to kind of wipe his brow and he'd take off his big cowboy hat and sitting on the top of his head would be a live rattlesnake, a a prairie rattlesnake. And of course, people were shocked by this. They would ask so many questions. Number one, why do you have a snake on your head? But then number two, what kind of snake is it? You know, are they from around here? What is their temperament like? And whether or not they enjoyed the tour for the hidden city who knows but they all loved seeing the rattlesnake and so he started to dream about having his own attraction that was reptile based Uh, so the next year he did create a business that was selling rocks and minerals because that was another one of his passions and to get people to stop in and visit he'd stand by the side of the road holding a live rattlesnake with his bare hands again And he'd have one of his buddies with a camera pretending to take a picture of this guy holding a rattlesnake. So then people would pull over so they could take a picture of the guy taking a rattlesnake. And then he'd say, hey, come into the shop, get some rocks.
0: Yeah, clever, clever business guy.
1: Absolutely. And then the next year, 1937, he opened a building, it was about 18 by 24 feet. It was the Black Hills Reptile Garden. So it had a bunch of native reptiles on display. Uh, like the snakes. And he was very crafty when it came to the location of it. Uh, It was on top of a hill, right where Highway 16 used to go by. And so all these, you know, older cars, they'd be chugging up the hill. They'd kind of overheat, and so they'd often park at the top of the hill to let their engines cool down. So they'd be sitting there and say, oh, look, there's a building over there. And then there'd be a big thud, because Earl or one of his buddies would have jumped up on the sideboard, like holding a snake, and say, hey, how you doing? And you want to come inside and visit, and so since they had to wait for their car to cool down anyway, why not come in and see some incredible reptiles? Uh, so that's how it all started. That's
0: interesting. So Earl, yeah. um, right? Earl, I'm not. Yes. Say, okay. That's so, Earl. Yep. When he was doing uh, the hidden city stuff and the rattlesnake under the hat story is mm-hmm. like that's a tall tale. It seems like. <laughs> but, I mean, it's true. Like a hundred percent.
1: It is true. Yeah, really? and it's. It's such a unique story, and uh, if you're interested in it, there's actually a book called Rattlesnake Under His Hat, because, I mean, that's really catchy, everyone's interested in that, and it chronicles his life. I think it's by Sam Hurst. Uh, We have it in our gift shop, you can find it on Amazon, it's at Mitzi's downtown, and it tells the story of his life, and how he came to bring all these reptiles to Rapid City, South Dakota, and what it was like running a business during that time, and it's it's a fascinating read. It has a lot sure more information. It yeah. yeah,
0: it's a uh, the thing with the snake under the hat is that snake just not nervous because it's so dark in there. Like <laughs> I'm like, what's the logistics behind it, or is it just you know this was the guy like he just could handle snakes and handle dangerous reptiles.
1: Right. Well, he he certainly had an affinity for snakes. Uh, it's hard to get into the mind of a rattlesnake, but as long as it was you know nice and and dark and calm and he wasn't moving around too much doing cartwheels, I imagine. It was feeling pretty safe. He probably also didn't get just a random snake that he found and directly put it on his head. I imagine he did a little bit of handling to get it used to people first. For sure. So
0: how I kind of figured we'd go through the podcast is we'd start with the three big shows that you guys have at Reptile Gardens, being your gator show, bird show, and then snake show, and then move on to all the other cool stuff that you have, if that works.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So,
0: first, let's start out um, with the Gator Show. That's, a, I'm sure, one of the more popular ones. People love to see the alligators, crocodiles, um, and caimans that you guys have. So, if people come to Reptile Gardens, what are they going to experience when they go to a Gator Show? Like, what c- consists of a Gator Show?
1: Yes, I think. Right now it's our most popular show. Uh, so tons of people at it. Have you seen The Gator Show? Before? I have.
0: Yes, I have. Yep.
1: <laughs> awesome. Uh, so you know what to expect. And there's there's kind of a little bit of dissonance between the expectation of The Gator Show and the reality of The Gator Show. Uh, so a lot of folks will come in as they're waiting in the stands for the show to start, and they'll think, okay, as soon as that guy comes out of that door onto the stage that's absolutely chock full of gators and crocodiles, they're going to leaf up and just make a huge rush for him. There's going to be thousands of pounds of angry gator just converging on this poor guy and he's going to be sprinting around, you know, yeah. jaws are going to be snapping. He's going to jump over a fence to try and escape. Maybe I'll even catch it on video, you know, with my mm-hmm. smartphone. Um, but the reality is he comes out of the door and the gators do exactly what they were doing before, which is almost nothing. They're just, yeah, they're just hanging out. Yeah. Hanging out, soaking up the sun, thinking about whatever gators think about and they hardly notice when he comes on the stage And that's kind of an educational moment because then he can say, All right, well this is a great way of illustrating these are cold blooded animals or or ectotherms. So they don't create their own body heat. So they have to conserve their energy as much as possible. And the best way to do that is by just laying around and don't move unless it's necessary. So when he comes on stage, these are gators that have worked here for a while. They know that he's not a threat. We feed him well, so they're not super hungry. There's really no reason for them to charge them it's totally not worth their time so they don't Uh, so he'll he'll open up with that and he'll talk about the difference between gators and crocodiles and kind of the natural history behind some of them before
0: we go further we probably mm -hmm. should touch on the difference between gators crocodiles and caimans outside of the fact like a crocodile will see you in a while an alligator will see you later that is the scientific distinction exactly. yes
1: (laughs) Um, but if you wanted some other ways Uh, if you're looking at head shape, that's usually the easiest thing to go by. So crocodiles tend to have a more narrow snout and that's really pronounced in some species like the slender snouted crocodile, which is very conveniently named. And then on the alligators, it'll be a little bit more broad, kind of a U shape, um, for their, for their snout there. Uh, they're also kind of found in different areas of the world. We're very lucky in Florida. You can find gators and crocodiles because everything's in Florida. Um, but, uh, yeah, that can help out. And then there's there's a tooth thing somehow. Yeah, but
0: hopefully you're not getting too close where you right. can use if, that. as If your, you're
1: close enough to distinguish which tooth is protruding or not, yeah, you might you're in, be you're slightly in a little bit too close. So the head shape is, is the main thing um, for distinguishing between those. And then um, for the caiman, there's a couple of other things because you'll find some in that have narrow snouts and some that have broad snouts. So it's harder there to distinguish. Um, so part of the world you're in. Um, some of them, like the yakare, came and I think they have kind of stripes going on, kind of okay. like suspenders. Yeah. So yeah.
0: So you like you said, it's not so much madness with your trainers, but what kind of training do your trainers <laughs> have to go through to you know present to a live audience at a gator show?
1: Yes, um, we do believe in practical hands-on experience, but we we also like our staff, so we don't just chuck them yes. out there. Um the first part of training is actually just having someone be on staff for a season before they jump in with a reptile. So maybe they're working in maintenance or maybe they're helping out guiding in the tortoise yard. And then we can kind of get a feel for them and be like, "Oh, is this person got you know, a real fun personality. Um do they take foolish risks? Um would they be interested in this sort of thing?" So after we've spent that season with them, we'll approach them next year and be like, "Are you interested in reptiles?" And uh, when they are, we'll start the training. Uh, so if you've seen our gator stage, it's an enclosed space. There's kind of a moat of water around it. It's heated, so they can hang out and warm up. And it's filled with about forty six or forty seven. Yeah, there's a lot of gators them in and there. crocs. Yeah. Um, it's quite a few. So the first thing they need to do is learn how to move safely around that many crocodilians. Uh, so it's kind of a, a dance, really. So they'll they'll get a dance lesson on how to walk safely around all of them. And once they can move themselves around, they'll learn to move the gators themselves. Um, So how to get a hold of the tail, um, move them where you need them to be. And then they will pick one of the more easygoing, smaller alligators. And one of the experienced presenters will tape the mouth shut. And then they'll have their new staff member practice jumping on it. And they'll also practice getting off of it because that is a critical part as well.
0: Yes, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's, it's always fun to jump on, but you have to have a plan on uh, yes. how you're going to get off. Uh, so they'll practice that a lot and they'll do it on different sizes of gators in the exhibit too until they've built up that confidence, okay, I think I know how to get on and off. And then while they're seated on the gator, uh, someone will come up and remove the tape. So we're kind of elevating the risk now and they'll figure out how to hold the head and kind of close the jaws shut um, and talk about some of the other adaptations that gators have while they're doing that and uh, then dismounting again and then when when everyone feels like well i think this is as much practice as we can give they'll they'll pick the easiest smallest friendliest gator that we have and then we'll close our eyes and uh, just tell them to go for it
0: hope for hope for the best yes (laughs) it's uh you were talking about temperament in gators is they're like the bigger they get, do they get ornier? Is it really variable on what gator it is? You could have a big one who's like a gentle giant and a little one who's just like really feisty.
1: Yes, it's not always size. Sometimes it's species as well. Oh, really? some, some of the gators that we have are pretty easy going. They've been doing it for a while. They're fine. Um, some of the gators we like just received a couple of years ago, and they're not quite used to the whole wrestling thing. So yeah. they are a little bit less mellow about it. Um, So you could say the less experienced gators are a little bit more feisty. And then there's some that we just don't wrestle because they are way, way too either powerful or smart. Uh, So the what do we have? We have some saltwater crocodiles in that exhibit. And they're fine, you know, for the feeding portion or just, you know, laying around. We'll walk around them. But we do not wrestle them uh, because they mean business. And also the Cuban crocodiles are just whip smart really and incredibly fast Uh, so they have their own exhibit in the skydome they're not even on the stage but uh, that would be one i would never wrestle if i had a choice yeah
0: (laughs) like you said you want to pick a a little bit smaller one and an experienced one who is the biggest of the bunch i mean obviously saltwater saltwater crocs in general are Mm -hmm. are the biggest of any of the crocodiles or alligators um but who do you have who's like the the main attraction
1: oh that would be maniac Uh, He is a saltwater crocodile, which is the largest living reptile species. He is not the largest one there has ever been, but he's still massive. He is, last time we measured him, 16 feet and 2 inches.
0: Which is just really crazy to think about, that he stretches like (laughs) one and a half basketball hoops high.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he's absolutely massive, and whenever people... Like, walk in, guests see him, and they'll just go, oh, my gosh. Every time you can almost count on it. Oh, my gosh. So we thought about changing his name to, oh, my gosh. Yeah, just
0: like, look at that.
1: Yeah, but we'd been calling him Maniac for so long. We, we stuck with that. But, yeah, I think he's he's over 1,300 pounds man Uh, so yeah while he could probably seat a lot of people like you could probably get four or five people on him um not not great for wrestling
0: no i suppose does he is he ever in the main gator show or does he kind (laughs) of just do his own thing
1: he would eat so many of the smaller gators uh no he's he's got his very own exhibit so that he has plenty of room to uh move around and do his thing Uh, so he is in the lower portion of the Sky Dome
0: for sure all right so uh next up next show would be the bird show Um, yeah Do you know when or why Reptile Gardens added birds to the reptile collection? Is it like, is it a strange pairing or are they closer than we think? We just don't, aren't informed.
1: (laughs) It does work out pretty well. They didn't always have a bird show. That was something that was introduced a little bit later, but, um, there are a few reasons why the bird show works out really well. And first off, birds are technically a reptile. Um, and if really, yes, if you want to get really specific, they're dinosaurs.
0: Yes. They're um, like the closest uh, relative, like ancestor of dinosaurs, right?
1: Right, right. So um, there's a bunch of dinosaurs playing around, big extinction events. Um, some of them go extinct. Some of them do well and kind of explode into this incredible biodiversity. And uh, that was the bird. So um, they had a common ancestor. And if you're looking at the family tree of reptilia, you have to include the birds too. Um, so crocodiles are actually more closely related to birds than they are to lizards. No way. Which is really bizarre, but it's true. So yeah, if you're, if you're looking at the reptilia family tree, the birds are right there uh, next to the crocodiles. But when people think about reptiles, birds are just so out there and specialized with the feathers and the flight thing. Um, a lot of people kind of exclude them. Like if you had a family reunion and you have, invite everybody except that one weird yeah. cousin that's just yeah. two out there. <laughs> Technically she's family, but yeah. just real different.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. very interesting. It's, uh, what are some of the birds that you, like if someone were to go to the bird show, what are some of the birds that you would see at the bird show and just in reptile gardens in general? Maybe they're not in the show, but you still mm-hmm. have them, um, at reptile gardens?
1: Yeah. So with our show, we've shifted to an all raptor show. So it's all birds of prey, all meat eating predators. Uh, so you might see a falcon, or an owl or a hawk or a vulture as well and of course you can always see our bald eagle on display too Uh, so yeah we're heavily featuring the birds of prey this year okay
0: does that change year to year every so often i know when i was there last um it was not the birds of prey Mm -hmm. prey um i think it was just two years ago so Mm -hmm. obviously it changes and shifts a little bit
1: yeah, and the, the gardens are always changing. And I mean, the snake show, it used to be a giant pit filled with rattlesnakes, and the guy would swing in on a rope, shirtless in like Daisy Dukes. When was this? <laughs> Unfortunately, before my time, because that would have been awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's always evolving. We always want to get better. Um, so, you know, one year we've got, you know, more parrots in the bird show. next year we're like, well, let's mix it up. Let's try some more rafters and things like that. Uh, so it was it was raptors this year. And then we'd bring out the parrots at the end because parrots are amazing. Yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, they
0: talk. They're cool. They're colorful. Yeah, yeah they're amazing. It's a, What bird have you seen like in your time, Um, whether you were working with the birds or now in, in uh, your position as director of social media? Who is like a fan? Like what bird is the fan favorite? Like when that bird comes
1: out, everyone's like, oh, that's my favorite one. <laughs> it, it's definitely the owls. Owls are very hot right now. Um, most likes on. All the social media platforms and the most questions too, because they're just so mysterious and compelling. Because they have that flattened face yes. with the huge eyes and uh, kind of kind of like a human's face, and so people want to take pictures of them and ask questions. You know, can they really turn their heads around all the yeah. way? Uh,
0: and the answer to that is
1: not quite. Almost, so. they can do a remarkable, uh, on average, two hundred and seventy degrees.
0: Yeah, which is pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a lot farther than I can go. Yes. Uh, so it, it is pretty incredible. And you think about it, if, if they did go all the way around, they just get the same view they had if they stayed still. That's so, true. Yeah. Well, that's a lot to gain there. Yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah. So when you were working uh, in the bird show and training birds, what is that process like? Um, maybe you can take a single bird or a single thing that they do at the bird show, and how do you train them to do that? And are they fast learners? Are they slow learners? How does that whole process work?
1: Yeah, it definitely depends on the individual bird and certain species have different strengths as well. You definitely need to have a lot of patience uh, whenever you're training something. So with uh, the birds of prey, it's a lot of just getting them comfortable with humans and maybe sitting still on a glove. Uh, And when you see that on stage, that represents hundreds of hours of practice before it comes to fruition in a show. But to give you an example... I can do uh, one of my most challenging training behaviors was getting a rooster to run out on stage, grab a dollar from a volunteer and take the dollar back with it and drop it into its crate.
0: A rooster as in like a barnyard rooster? A or? barnyard rooster. Okay.
1: Yes. Uh, chicken, just a yes. domestic rooster. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure why we picked rooster. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, kind of a challenge. I mean, the parrots are incredibly smart. You can train them to do stuff real quick. Uh, The corvids, the ravens and the crows, also brilliant. Chickens, very good at eating. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, they've they've got some smarts, too. So uh, we started at the end. A lot of times when you're training a behavior, you will train it backwards so that the animal always knows how to finish properly. Um, And so that The end behavior is the strongest. So the end behavior is running into the crate with a dollar. So we just started off with a chicken in the crate. We would open the door, offer a dollar, you know, in the hopes that he would grab it, take it, in. we shut the door. So that's that's the end point there. Also important not to use real dollars to start with.
0: Oh, I suppose, yeah. That would be a little cash consuming. (laughs)
1: They'll just get covered in saliva. Uh, So it would be just slips of paper. And so we do that over and over and over. And eventually... He grabs it, and it falls in the crate, and you give him tons of corn, as a yeah. reward. And so then we extend it out, so he has to take a few steps out, then grab the dollar and bring it back. And that turnaround is the hardest point, and that's where we almost gave up because day after day, it just wasn't making progress. But then baby steps in practice, he finally would come out like seven feet, grab the dollar, take it back, successfully get it in the crate, and we're just doing jumping jacks, screaming. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's uh-huh. super
0: rewarding. It's like from where he was at to, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, he's learned this, how to yeah, g- grab a dollar, which is, is crazy. Yeah. How long, like for that, did like start to finish from where you, like he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> and then to the point where like, all right, it's the show, he goes out, grabs a dollar from a random person and his mm-hmm. back, like, no problems. He's a pro.
1: Oh, um, they do a little better in their second season. I can tell you that. But uh, to get the behavior good enough for stage, probably about two months
0: okay Uh, that's not that's not bad at all yeah
1: yeah, it doesn't seem that bad until you're sitting there you know doing the 15th run yeah i'm trying to potty train a puppy right now and you think (laughs) that would be
0: easier but yeah no so i'm very impressed at two months for the rooster yeah yeah so all right on to our next show is Mm -hmm. the snake show which snakes probably give people the most heebie-jeebies of of any (laughs) any critter that you have at reptile gardens
1: yes that's accurate
0: are, when people go to the snake show, are they going to be seeing mostly venomous snakes, mostly non-venomous snakes, a little bit of a mixture between the two? What can they expect?
1: It's, it's definitely a mix because uh, we want to kind of compare and contrast a little bit. Um, so I won't go into specific species because it's a brilliant show and you've got to see it. Uh, but we do start off with some non-venomous uh, critters and we'll, we'll talk about you know common snake mice. No, they're not slimy. Um, kind of show how they move, talk about their natural history and um, then we'll move on to snakes that use constriction. Uh, and we'll bring out, you know, a nice large snake to talk about that because, you know, it's visual show. Oh, you want to yeah. have a nice big visual aid, so it's easy to see. Uh, and then we'll move on to the more venomous snakes. And there's even different styles of, of venom injection. So we'll, we'll start off with snakes that have rear-fanged uh, venom injection. And while they're certainly not something you want to mess around with, You need to be careful. Uh, The fangs are in the back of the mouth, so they kind of have to work their prey into the back to actually inject the venom in. Um, But they can open their mouths pretty wide, so you have to be careful, though. So we start off the show, we're handling the snakes with bare hands. Then we will bring out the snake hook, which is a modified golf club. So we'll take a golf club, we'll lop off the big knobby end, and then we'll we'll turn the end into kind of a hook. So extremely high-tech um that's how wait so they
0: actually don't just make snake hooks like you can't buy them you actually take a real golf club and bend it around
1: you know they they probably do make them somewhere because you can buy everything but we we've always made them in-house from golf clubs because we're very mom and pop yeah that's Uh, great i love that detail it it works i mean we could buy a thousand dollar snake hook probably but it it would do the same thing yeah yeah it still keeps us safe Uh, so yeah we'll use the snake hook once we start getting to the venomous snakes Um, So we've got the rear fang snakes, then we'll have snakes that do have the fangs in the front, but they're a little bit shorter, kind of stuck in place. And then we'll get to the really exciting stuff, um, which is the vipers. They've got long fangs in the front that can be folded away uh, into the roof of their mouth, um, and they can also uh, inject it really efficiently. It's like devastatingly efficient uh, when it comes to delivering that venom. Um, and a lot of people will ask, too, do you defang your snakes for safety? Do you milk your snakes before the show? And uh, we don't because it's not really healthy for the snakes to remove yeah. their fangs. You know, that's dangerous for them. Um, and we just uh, we train ourselves to be safe around them. Uh, so, again, we won't just throw someone in with a whole bunch of venomous snakes and hope that it all goes well. We do a lot of training so that everything is as safe as we can make it. Obviously, it's still a little risky, um, but we take every possible precaution. Yeah, it's
0: more of a yeah. calculated risk, I'm sure. I yeah, mean, you yeah. have people who have been working with venomous snakes for 20 plus years, I'm sure, at Reptile mm-hmm. Gardens teaching new people who are coming in and they're gonna teach, yeah, so. It is dangerous because of what you're working with, but I'm sure the risks that you take are, you know, it's probably more dangerous to drive to work than it is to do what you guys are doing.
1: That, that's probably the most dangerous thing any of our staff do, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Like it is now. Granted, we're having a nice week this week, but mm-hmm. um, when it's cold in the wintertime, what do you? Where do the snakes go? Where do where do the alligators and crocodiles go um, at reptile gardens? Do you ship them off to warmer climates, or how does that work?
1: We we thought about it, um, but it would cost a lot to put them on a plane, you know, to Florida yeah, and Maniacs. A little, yeah, a little traumatic. for Yeah, him yeah. Maniacs real picky. He only flies first class. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we just keep him with us and we turn up the heat. Um, okay. Is is the solution, and that works just fine for them. So they're they're still there, and we still have a skeleton crew there in the winter, um, you know, providing care. And what we're doing right now is we're redoing a bunch of the caging, um, updating exhibits, doing a lot of deep cleans, uh, so that we can be prepared for next year. So in the winter, just turn up the heat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Um. So, oh, what am I trying to say here? Handling snakes. Um, yes. Yes with your ambassadors, I'm, like you said, it's calculated risk. Has there ever been an accident? I know it's probably like, you don't wanna be like, oh yeah, we have accidents all the time. But I'm sure <laughs> that's not the case. But it, do you have situations where you know someone gets bit and you gotta go to the hospital or do you have anti-venom right in uh, with you guys to take care of that stuff if that ever does happen?
1: We, we've got the anti-venom and bites are incredibly rare. Um, so when we do have bites occur, it's usually uh, from non-venomous snakes because that's when um, some of our staff might drop their guard. Um, you know, so maybe a snake that's being trained that hasn't, you know, been out in the public yet. We're kind of handling it, working with it. Someone might get distracted and, you know, get bitten. Yep. Um, but with a non-venomous snake, you can know, put a bandaid on it yes. and you're good to go. But with the venomous snakes, the, the guard never drops. No, uh, yeah. all, all the staff know that they need to have the deepest respect, uh, for all the venomous stuff. So we have a lot of locks, a lot of keys, um, and we have an enormous refrigerator filled with anti-venom.
0: Yes, just in case.
1: Yes, and what we do with it is it sits there and it expires. Yep. And uh, that is exactly the way we want it. Uh, yeah. We don't want to use any of it. Uh, so there there have been venomous bites in the past, um, but again, it is extremely rare. Yeah, I kind of figured yeah. that was
0: maybe going to be the answer to that. Um, <laughs> but I suppose we'll take a little breather here, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about all the other interesting stuff outside of the shows that you can do at Reptile Gardens. Excellent. Hey guys and gals, it's Brett Mattis, the host of the Midwest Marketing Podcast. I need you to do me a favor really, really quick. I promise you it won't take long. However you're listening to this here podcast, go on to iTunes, Stitcher, maybe you're just on our website, whatever it is, go give us a five-star rating. See those stars? There's going to be five of them. Just go to the one furthest on the right-hand side, click that one. Maybe write a few quick nice words about us. Unless you don't like us very much, then don't write anything at all. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Let's get back to listening. All right, so we covered... The shows, the, the three main shows that you can go to when you're at Reptile Gardens. However, that is not the extent of what you can do. Um, one of the really, really cool things that I enjoyed when I was there was going into the Sky Dome, just like most people do. Can you talk about what the Sky Dome at Reptile Gardens is and, and who is in there that people can go see?
1: Yes. Yeah, so it is America's original indoor jungle. Um, it was the first or one of the first enclosures of its kind. And uh, it was first built in 1965, and it's really iconic. It's featured in a lot of our logos. It's got that huge dome up on top. It has two different levels. Uh, Downstairs is where we have Maniac, the saltwater croc, and the Komodo dragon, and uh, some tarantulas and frogs, just for fun. Upstairs is where you'll find most of our snake collection. Uh, So a lot of wonderful exhibits in there. But the really great thing is the central safari room. So it's this room in the center that covers both floors and has foliage in it that goes almost directly up to the ceiling of that huge dome. And that's what allows us to have tropical plants and reptiles year round. Uh, It's always a nice balmy, about 72, 75 degrees in there. And there's... All kinds of live plants in the safari room, uh, mostly orchids and bromeliads. We've got an extensive collection of both, um, but all kinds of things are growing in there. And there's a lot of things crawling in there, too, because it's uh, kind of like an ecosystem unto itself. Uh, the snakes in our displays, they they stay in the displays. We don't want them wandering around too much. But we've got a lot of harmless reptiles kind of hanging out in the jungle of the safari room Uh And it changes from year to year. Right now we have curly-tailed lizards and green anoles. There's a bunch of basilisk. There's a really charming bearded dragon, Chinese water dragons, and I think a hermit crab.
0: And they're all just doing their own thing, wandering about with the people who are are going in there.
1: Yep. sometimes they'll skitter across the floor. Uh, There's red-headed agamas crawling directly up the walls because they're such terrific climbers. And yeah, it kind of creates that living jungle feel to yeah. have all that movement inside yeah it's
0: so cool You I mean you're walking and like you said you got lizards and and other things just crawling across the floor in front of you mm-hmm. like you're just walking out in the jungle yeah um it, it's really really interesting um one of my favorite things to, to visit i mean i've been to reptile gardens twice um now and i've just moved out here two years ago so mm-hmm. somewhat frequent visitor awesome um is the giant tortoises um And I feel like those are definitely a fan favorite as well, as they're just really (laughs) cool. So can you touch on where those tortoises come from in the world and how old and big they really do get?
1: Yeah, well, No Visit to Reptile Gardens is complete without seeing the giant tortoises, uh, because it's kind of a unique thing to see. And you can get up close to them and touch them and take selfies with them, uh, which is such a cool experience. So the type that we have right now are Aldabra tortoises. They're native to the Aldabra Atoll in the Seychelles uh, so you go to Africa and then you hop over to Madagascar and then you go a little bit north. That's where you find the okay. Seychelles. And for a long time, we'd usually have about three giant tortoises, but we expanded our herd this year.
0: Is that is it a herd of tortoises? Is that the you
1: know? I think you can have a bale or a stack of turtles. Um, Interesting. We like to say herd because just saying turtle herd is yeah, it's really great. <laughs> fun. Uh, so yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure what the collective noun is. I think it's usually a, a bale, but I don't know how you would bale these because they're enormous.
0: Yeah, no, they're they're <laughs> they're huge. They're such cool critters.
1: Yeah. Uh, so here's our big guys. Um, our biggest and oldest is Orville. He is 114 years old this year. Uh, and they they have pretty impressive lifespan. So Methuselah was our uh, Galapagos tortoise that was quite old, and I think uh, Methuselah made it to about 127, 128.
0: That's cr- is that um, because they are at reptile garden? Do they live that long in the wild too, where they are at, or is it do they get a little bit of an extension on their lifespan since they're at, at reptile garden?
1: It, it probably helps that they've got. A personal chef and nutritionist yes. and, you know, doctor right there at their beck and call. But they are naturally really long-lived, too, because once they achieve adult size on those islands, there's not a lot that's going to take them out. You know, it's it'll be something else. It'll be starvation or, or disease. So they are very hardy yes. and long-lived critters. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just saw, actually, um, I may be late to the party, but they just found... Um another type of giant tortoise that they thought was extinct they said like the last known sighting was in 1906 and it was in the galapagos island chain there Mm -hmm. and i believe it was called the fernandino
1: (gasps) fantastic i
0: may be mistaken or i might be pronouncing it wrong it's something along those lines Mm -hmm. but yeah they're like from 1906 they're like yeah this thing is extinct and they (laughs) turned up a a 100 year old female it's like so i mean it's been walking around for 100 years and we just haven't seen it kind of makes you realize how big everything is. It's like we can't even realize this giant tortoise is is still alive.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And it gives you so much hope too.
0: Yes, oh, absolutely. Um, Of course, we got lots of other stuff that we could talk for days about, but just to Mm -hmm. hit like the highlights of some of the other really, really cool things that you guys have that people can go visit different exhibits and stuff like that at Reptile Gardens.
1: Yeah, so after you're done watching all the amazing shows and you've gone and you've said hey to the giant tortoises, Um, You can go say hi to our bald eagle on exhibit so you can see her anytime you like. Her name is Cheyenne, and she's gorgeous. Uh, We've got flower beds all over the place right now. They are looking a little bit frozen and sad, but in the summer, they're glorious, Um, chock full of thousands and thousands of flowers. I think they're planning a butterfly-shaped flower bed for next year, which is brand new for us, Uh, so always evolving and changing. And if you're into gardens, we have a section that we call Tortuga Falls. It's a beautiful koi pond surrounded by plants, and it's got a little waterfall in it and uh, turtles in there, of course, as well as a great place to go and kind of calm down, chill out. Um, there's a prairie dog town. So in case you're you're traveling and you have not seen prairie dogs all over the place, uh, like when you're driving through the Badlands and Wynn Cave, we've got a little, little town of some happy and portly prairie dogs uh, yes. you can you can say hi to them. there's a little bubble you can stick your head in and get enough close view as well. Yeah.
0: It's not popular with ranchers however when I was <laughs> when I was really little when I was really little my favorite animal was the prairie I just I don't know what it was I just loved the prairie dogs. so I was like oh prairie dog town like really Absolutely. cool.
1: Absolutely. Well they're adorable and they move a lot it's nice to have a contrast between the snakes that are pretty stationary in the exhibits. But then you can go see the prairie dogs frolic and chirp. they're going and chirping. there's a lot of movement going on. Um, And then we've got some things you can do. We have a gemstone sluice. There's a shooting gallery. Um, There's my favorite gift shop in the Black Hills. Uh, There's so many unique items in there. And, of course, reptile-related items as well. Um, And then there's the Green Parrot Cafe, which is open in the summer, and I look forward to it opening every year. I really like to get the French fries and dip them in ranch dressing. And that was not something I had encountered until I moved to the Midwest.
0: Yeah. That's a very Midwestern thing is the ranch ranch dressing. Do
1: you, do you, are you a fan of the ranch dressing? I'm
0: personally not. I know I'm in a minority (laughs) when I'm like not a fan of ranch dressing, but yeah, especially uh, where I'm from in Minnesota, it's like Mm -hmm. ranch dressing on everything.
1: (laughs) So yeah, uh, I like to go to the green parrot cafe, uh, get a chocolate shake and some French fries and dip the French fries in ranch now. Oh,
0: for sure. Um, are there any critters that you guys have at Reptile Gardens that are commonly found in South Dakota and that people could run into when they're out walking around out in the woods or out on the prairie?
1: Yes, yeah, that's how we started. Our favorite snake is probably the prairie rattlesnake. Uh, so I will say that is one of the the snakes that is featured in our snake show. Uh, you will be able to see a prairie rattlesnake. Um, and then we also have the different species of garter snake that you might come across in your backyard. I think we've got... Uh, racers on display Uh, we have a hognose snake and a bull snake Uh, there's a milk snake as well and uh, then of course got the prairie dogs and some of the turtles that you might see like painted turtles and red-eared sliders yeah
0: do you still have a pheasant i know when i was at when i was there the one time at the bird show the bird show was closed out with a, a chinese ring neck pheasant which is obviously the most popular bird in south dakota yes he's still there you still have him
1: we do still have uh one of our chinese ring neck pheasants yes the state bird no
0: i was super pumped i think my i was it was with my grandma at the time i think grandma was like a little bummed she's
1: like it's a pheasant and i was like
0: yeah but look how beautiful it is i was like they're so they're great birds
1: yeah the challenge with pheasants though is that during the summer they're at their worst looking especially for the males yes so i mean he looks great after we close bird shows in the fall but in the summer he looks a little bit yeah, a bit little draggled. ragged yeah.
0: yeah um so obviously you said the prairie rattlesnake kind of started this whole thing with mm-hmm. reptile gardens and as far as reptiles in south dakota go it's probably the, the scariest one i guess that's the scariest in quotation yep. marks um it doesn't happen very much but it does happen if someone gets bit by a prairie rattlesnake say they're out you know hiking in the badlands or maybe they're out hunting what do you do if you get bit by one like what's the protocol what should a person do
1: right well what we recommend um no matter small snake or big snake um if you are bitten by a rattlesnake it's it's a medical emergency so remain calm but get to a hospital as quickly as you can Uh, so don't don't stress out about it but you know get there in a timely manner because time is critical Um, there are a lot of other methods that are you know sometimes recommended like you know cut and suck or put on a tourniquet, but they're not effective and they're going to waste valuable time. Um, So instead of stopping and doing any of that, just get yourself to the hospital um, because the most effective thing and the only effective thing really is treatment with anti-venom, and uh, that's gonna be available at the hospital.
0: Yes, and is it correct that you should not be running, like don't run to your car, walk <laughs> calmly to your car?
1: I, I would walk just in case you run into more rattlesnakes, that's, you know, yeah, you don't true. wanna make it even worse for yourself. Yes, very, uh, very so true. yeah, if you if you panic or, or sprint, you're gonna elevate your heart rate and that's gonna spread the venom a little bit faster. Yeah, for so, sure, yeah, ideal. stay
0: calm yeah. And, and get yourself to a hospital mm-hmm. is, is good protocol. Um, all right. It's going to be tough to choose. This is a tough question. And if you got more than one, that's fine with me. But of all the great critters that you have at Reptile Gardens, what is your personal favorite? Like, has one really just kind of gripped your heart and you're like, that's my favorite one?
1: <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm betraying the birds because Ooh. it's it's not a bird. Um, <clears throat> I would have to go with the Western hognose snake. Really? Have, have you feel- ever seen one?
0: I feel like I have. It's not like, you know, do they have a real pointy nose? They
1: do. They've got this um, upturned scale um, in the front, so kind of like the nose, which is how they get the name hog nose. And they'll kind of use it for digging. But it's it's adorable. Um, but in addition to being, you know, just a small, really friendly looking snake, they've got a really interesting strategy to defend themselves with. Uh, so if they're threatened, they'll kind of try to make themselves look bigger and hiss really loud. Um so they're really good actors. Sometimes they're too good because people will think, oh, no, it's a rattlesnake. And then, you know, do whatever yes. they do with it. Um, but really, they're they're harmless to humans. But if that doesn't work, if the bluff doesn't work, they'll play dead. They'll flip really? over onto their backs and they'll kind of loll their heads. And some of them are like super dramatic. They'll let the tongue kind of hang out. Um, on some occasions, they'll even kind of expel a really horrible smell. Um, this in, is fascinating. In the hopes, of course, that a predator will think, "Oh, gross! This thing's been dead for a long time," and leave them alone, even though it was just you know fronting yes. and hissing at them. Um, so, it will if you if you pick it up when it's in that state, it'll you know kind of be limp in your hand as if it was dead. But if you place it back on the ground right side up, it'll flip itself back over, <laughs> and and continue pretending. To be dead as, is that
0: pretty unique behavior to that species of snake, or is that something we see in, in other species as well?
1: You know, you'll see a lot of kind of posturing and pretending to be intimidating in a lot of the species of snakes, or pretending to be more dangerous than they are. Like, a bull snake might um, shake the tip of its tail, and if there happen to be dry leaves on the ground, it sounds kind of like a rattlesnake. But the the playing dead thing on top of it um, is a little bit more rare and and you see it in those hognose snakes so they for their adorability and their really charming attempt to defend themselves uh they're my favorite
0: yeah that's a great pick i like it very unique Mm -hmm. um if people are interested they're listening from wherever and they're like oh i would like to i've never been i would like to go to reptile gardens where can they find you are you are you on facebook social media all that kind of stuff how can they get in contact with you guys
1: Absolutely. Um, all of the above. We do have a website at reptilegardens.com, just one word. And that's probably going to have the most in-depth information about our park. We have a list of frequently asked questions um, and there's a little message thing there if you want to contact us. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think we even have a Pinterest. Uh, the Pinterest is mostly oh, like gardening, yes. gardening yeah. tips and, <laughs> and things like that. Um, and we do our best to keep our hours updated on Google as well. And you can always call us, uh, our number is 605-342-5873. Um, or we've even got another one, 800-335-0275. Um, we are closed right now. Um, we close in the winter so that we can get projects completed and prepare for next year. Um, we're still there taking care of animals. It's a bit of a mess our cleaning standards go down a little bit when yes. we know we're not gonna have visitors. Um, but our doors will be open to the public again on March 7th.
0: Awesome, that's the big push, and then we're into the summer months and yeah. everyone's having a good time. Absolutely. So, Yeah, I guess, do you have any last minute thoughts, any, anything that I didn't touch on that you think would be like kind of interesting for people to know?
1: I do, I, I just learned something last week that I can't believe I didn't know, and it's about mistletoe. Okay, perfect. Very fitting. Yeah, very apropos for the season. Uh, so mistletoe is a little, you know, evergreen plant. It's got berries, and it's uh, kind of a parasite on trees. A little bit of mistletoe is fine. Too much mistletoe, not good. Um, but there's, there's a lot of birds that will, will eat the berries. Um, like, for example, in Arizona, there's the Phenopepla, which is kind of like a goth northern cardinal. It's all black, um, but it just loves to eat those mistletoe berries. And the berries are really sticky. And it's a, it's a plant that wants to live on kind of the branches in the bark of a tree. So it doesn't want the seeds to drop down onto the floor. It wants it to end up on another tree. So it'll eat these really sticky seeds. And being birds, you know, not really potty trained, they will kind of go wherever. And splat, it ends up on the bark of a tree. Ideal place for a new mistletoe plant. And mistletoe actually comes uh, from an old word meaning uh, dung and stick. So mistletoe really means yeah. poop twig. Yeah,
0: so not as romantic as we've made it out to be.
1: <laughs> not, not quite as romantic, no. Yeah.
0: Very interesting. That is a great last minute thought. I love, yeah, yeah very prepared. I love it. Um, I, don't, I don't have anything I can't follow. I can't follow that up. Um, <laughs> other than thank you for coming on. I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. People I think are really going to love this podcast. And, oh, and, well, thanks, and thanks for having really us, Brett. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, people will listen to the podcast and, and come on through your doors and experience all the great stuff. Uh, that reptile gardens has to offer like i said i've been there twice and i have not been disappointed either time i went it's 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 a really really uh, cool spot
1: that's terrific
0: so yeah anyway thank you for coming on and thank you guys for listening